Hey, yeah, quarantine podcast episode number 56. Hope this finds you well. Hey, we are beginning to wrap up our study on the love of God uh, from the book God's Love by R.C. Sproul. So after that's done, what's going to happen is we're going to shift. There'll be a lot less quarantine podcasts because we're beginning to meet more regularly during the summer. There'll still be a Proverbs Tuesday and maybe I'll jump on time to time to do a quarantine, but it won't be as much daily. If you've already noticed, we've already stopped doing the Monday mirror. A lot of that is because Mondays are my day off, and I try to reserve that for my family. Um, so um, we'll be just doing probably once a week, maybe twice a week podcasts after we are wrapped up with the love of God. We're, as always, in 1 Corinthians 13. Find yourself there. And follow along. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We're going to be in 4B today. We just covered love is patient, love is kind. Last week, today, we're wrestling with the idea that love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, that's, I think, NASB, or the way that your ESV might read it, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. So why the shift from positive to negative? So remember, love is patient and kind, and then suddenly we switch it, and it does not envy. Or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It wants to clarify what love should not be doing. The character of agape shows no envy. Well, what is envy? You know, that's a it's a word that adults use a lot. I don't, I don't feel like I hear it in teenager child circles. So this is what envy is. Envy, as R.C. puts it, is a violation of the Tenth Commandment which prohibits the sin of coveting. It is out of envy that people are moved to do violence to their neighbor. Envy is the root of theft, murder, slander, and a host of other crimes against humanity. Apologist J. Werner Wallace, who's also a cold case detective in L.A., says that there are three main reasons people commit crime. It is a desire for power, a desire for lust, or desire for um, objects or something that they want or covet. So lust, power, and coveting. That's, that's the main reason people 
commit crimes. And envy is at the root of all those things. I envy the power someone else has, the power someone else has. I envy the man or the woman someone else has. I envy the possessions that someone else has. Think about it. You know the story. Joseph in the Old Testament, envy is the root of why his brothers sell him into slavery. And if you notice in that story, envy and hate go together. Envy and love are incompatible. But it's not just Joseph's brothers. The actions are also evident in the life of Christ towards the end of his life, Matthew 27, verses 15 through 18. Let me read this to you. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. So this is when Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate is presenting the prisoners before the crowd at the feast time to release one. And they, and then, sorry, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate gathered. Pilate said to them, "Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ?" For he knew that it was out of what envy that they had delivered him up. Speaking specifically about the Pharisees. Who had, and the religious elites who had arrested Jesus. We see this in modern life. If you turn on a political debate, if you're brave enough to turn on a political debate, you will see that it is the politics of envy where politicians stir up strife between classes, between people groups. They love to label people, put them in boxes, and put pit them against one another. Makes me sick. Honestly, I don't feel like in our life, my lifetime, I've had a leader from either party who has done a good job of helping see people see face to face. And it's not just our leaders, right? In our culture, we have this axiom that if you got it, flaunt it. We stir up envy by walking around like a peacock. We want everyone to see what we have. We want to be noticed. We want to be, if not the center of attention for the extrovert, thought highly of by the, uh, the introvert will want to feel highly thought of. But Paul also says, love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, right? Now, let's jump to 1 Corinthians 8, because he has something to say here in regards to being puffed up, being arrogant, being proud. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know All of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Knowledge without love breeds arrogance. 
Knowledge, like riches, can be paraded for the applause of men, and such knowledge parades without parades about without its more modest partner, wisdom. Students, we do yak for a couple reasons. But if the main reason you go to yak or to church or to Bible study is to attain knowledge, you have missed the boat. The chief reason we should go to these church-related activities, and really any activity, whether it's school, anywhere that you are achieving some skill or trade or work or job, is to love those around you. Because when we don't do that, we miss the point and we are quick to fall into envy, into arrogance, into boastfulness, and we become quick to lack all humility. It pains me in some of the graduates that have graduated from Yak that they might have biblical knowledge, but in the seven years that they were in the walls, they did not know how, they did not learn or take the opportunity to love people in their group that were different from them or to love people in their group who have wronged them. Or to love people in their group that they, honestly, outside of that group, probably wouldn't be friends with. And if you're not using these times to grow in love for your neighbor, which we've defined earlier, and for your brother and sister in Christ, especially those that are different than you, then you're missing the boat. You're missing the boat. If a stranger comes into Yak, and you're more excited about the lesson that is going to be preached or your friends that are already there, you've missed the boat. We must learn how to love, how to expand our friend circle, and how to include those that need the knowledge that will lead to eternal life and a relationship with God. But if we are simply seeking knowledge and friends that will pat us on the back because we already know and feel safe around them, we will miss it. Because the mark of authentic love is humility, which is the opposite of, of course, arrogance and pride. Humility doesn't know how to strut. It walks in not looking into how my needs can be satisfied, but walks into a room and looks out and sees how the needs of others that can be satisfied. And here's the ironic thing. When we do that, because that is how we were designed to function, which is in relationship to build one another up, then suddenly the spirit satisfies our longings because we are acting as Christ act towards a broken world. I'll end with Romans 12, 3 through 5. 
For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Do we see our group specifically act, and then broaderly as the church as one body? Or do we try to divide ourselves into cliques that satisfy our own desires and potentially fill arrogance, pride, and knowledge? Will we do the work of love when we are together? That's my challenge to you. Will we do the work of love when we are together? Peace.